Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. And uh, I think it's, it's fair to say that expectations or the management of expectations, the setting of expectations and the meeting of expectations uh, are pretty important when it comes to recruitment and uh, both of recruiting candidates for a position or a or an or a enterprise, but also to uh, retain them. Uh, and uh, it reminds me of a story uh, of an army, uh, navy, and, and, and uh, uh, air force recruitment drive that they held at a specific location, and they would have all the candidates coming, and, and each uh, force would, would present uh, their, the benefits and... Uh, what, whatever there is that, that would try and entice those to join their force. And so the Air Force would come up and would tell about how they, uh, uh, the fulfillment of, of, of uh, uh, a life in, in, in the Air Force and the Navy likewise, uh, all sort of pampering really to, to, the, to the needs of, of what people want and, and uh, really... Uh, most people want their life to, to count for something, but they also we're also selfish, and so we want what is what is best and easy for us. And and then finally, a marine sergeant, marine corps sergeant, came up, and he he just came up and he said, uh, you know, I can only offer you hardship, blood, tears, uh, most likely death, uh, but you will give your your life uh, for your country. Uh, and I have looked around, and there are probably only two or three of you here in this room that would qualify. Always truthful, Lord, and, and here before us, you have warned us. Uh, we'll talk more. And of course, of all the tables afterwards for sign-up, there is a massive contingency at the Marine Corps table rather than any of the others. And it's, it's basically playing on, on our need to make our lives count. We, none of us here, I believe, uh, want our life to mean nothing. Uh, we, we want to have our lives count. And, and, of course, we are willing to suffer and endure much in order to, to accomplish that if we think that the goal is worthy, uh, if we think the cause is, is worthy to pursue. Uh, and, of course, Jesus was, uh, I think the, the, the drill sergeant or the marine sergeant probably had uh, Jesus in mind when he did his call to, 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 to ministry or call to, to, to the Marine Corps because Jesus in our text this morning uh, really gives a pretty hard call for those who would come and minister the gospel in his name. Uh, we are in Matthew chapter 10. Uh, verses 16 through to um, 23 this morning. Um, and just for us to understand the context of, of this passage, uh, we need to be reminded again that Matthew did not write a gospel really set up in a, a neat chronological order as perhaps Luke has, has done. Uh, Matthew wanted to convince his compatriots that Jesus is the King, that He is the, is the, the Christ, and uh, he sort of 
organized his gospel around six discourses, six blocks of teaching. Uh, we've seen that before in Matthew 5-7 to on the Sermon on the Mount. Here in chapter 10 is another block of teaching on, on what disciples can, can expect and what is expected of them. Uh, in, in being sent out as, as his messenger. Then also chapter 13, chapter 18, chapter 23, and the last section will be chapters 24 to 25. And so here in Matthew 10, we find that some of the things that Matthew uh, records for us have been collated from, from, from different times of Jesus' teaching. We read here, of course, that uh, the initial send-out of his disciples were specifically to go to the house of Israel. But later on, we we read that they will also be brought before governors and kings to be a witness to the Gentiles. So some of the things that Jesus said here would refer to things that will happen at a much later date. But Matthew compiled all of that together in this one section that we have before us in in Matthew 10. So let me read for us Matthew 10, verse 16 to 23. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speaks, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we ask your mercy and your grace upon us, Lord, as we look at your word. We thank you for your spirit, Lord, who you promise would enlighten our minds to understand. And so, Father, we pray this morning, enlighten our minds. Lord, we also know that you're, through your spirit you will convict us of, of any wrongdoing, Lord, in relation to what we hear. Help us, Lord, to bring correction in the areas where we are in error. Lord, also, we know that your Spirit is the one, is our helper, who helps us, Lord, in applying your Word to our lives. And so, Lord, we ask this morning, help us, Lord, to to apply this Word, this passage, Lord, to our lives. Let us hold up our lives uh, so that the light of your Word will shine upon it, and, Lord, that uh, we would uh, be changed by it, I ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. And so really in this passage, Jesus gives us uh, what we can expect when He sends us out. When He sends us out to, to be His messengers of the gospel. And so the first one, uh, the first expectation really is you can expect to have problems and peril when you are sent out by Christ. Uh, 
I mean, Jesus did not hide the truth. Uh, he did not sugarcoat his commission. He was upfront and honest. Uh, you can expect difficulty and danger. You can expect problems and peril because what he is doing, he is sending you as sheep into the midst of wolves. Really, a vivid picture of, of danger, a mortal danger. Uh, sheep here, of course, refers to those who have been called by him by name and who have been sent out uh, by him uh, into, the, into the harvest. Uh, wolves here would re- represent all those who are not sheep, those who are unbelievers, those who are opposed to Christ, those who are outside of the kingdom. Uh, they are really, uh, the spiritual wolves uh, are really those who are ferociously selfish. Uh, they would be fiercely self-assertive and frighteningly savage in the way they treat others. And they would have no qualms in turning around and attacking the defenseless sheep as they bring the message of hope. Uh, so why such a warning? Uh, I mean, why, why would anyone go if, if that is uh, the reality? Well, it's because of Christ, because the shepherd king sends us. Uh, he sends them to go, to go among the wolves. Uh, and Spurgeon said, so they go fearlessly, not to fight them or to drive them from their horns, but to transform them. The shepherd sends his sheep among the wolves for the purpose, not of sacrificing his sheep, but for transforming wolves, for changing wolves into lambs and transfer them into his kingdom. And of course, such a task is not easy. Such a task is difficult. Such a task is dangerous. It would be fraught with problems and peril. Uh, and, and so we, sheep needs to go and they need to show wolves what they are truly like. They need to show them their sin. They need to show them their true nature. They need to tell them about their cold hearts towards God. They need to show them they are spiritually blind, that their understanding is darkened, that really they are foolish and futile in their thinking. They are hostile and, and, and uh, at enmity towards the shepherd and his sheep. And of course, the sheep further needs to tell them that they are in danger. And it's a kind of an interesting thing to think about it here. Sheep goes in the midst of wolves and tells the wolves they are in danger. They are, of course, in danger of, of the shepherd's judgment, of the shepherd's condemnation, both in this world and in the world to come. And the sheep needs to also at that time assure them that all is not lost, that there is hope, that there is real life, that Jesus, the Lamb of God, sacrificed Himself willingly and freely, dying on the cross to make atonement for sin. And He was raised up to life on the third day to secure forgiveness, reconciliation, life in abundance, now and for all eternity, if they would turn from their wolfish ways unto faith in Christ. Turn from their ways of wolves to the ways of the shepherd. 
which will transform them to become lambs, sheep. And of course, to do that, you need to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. And this little, this, this little proverb, shrewd as serpents, I mean, immediately our minds go back to the, the Garden of Eden where we read of the serpent being more shrewd than any other beast that the Lord had, had made. Uh, Satan, of course, masquerading as the serpent, uh, successfully tempted Adam and Eve to sin against God, really manipulating very craftily the very gift that God has given mankind, and that is to be made into His image. And part of what that means is that we have the ability to, to reason, to compare, uh, and basically use that against man so that man would sin against God. God said this, Satan says, that is not true. Man is placed in the position to make that choice. And because they are able to make that choice, uh, they chose to honor the serpent and Satan rather than God. So very craftily, very shrewd. Uh, of course, God, in, as, a, as a consequence, cursed the serpent to slither on his belly for the rest of his life and, and placed eternal or, or placed enmity rather between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And this have had both uh, physical consequences as well as uh, spiritual consequences. Spiritual really depicting then the hostility that is there between the people of God and the people of Satan, the children of Satan and the children of God, as we see here in this picture of lambs uh, and, and wolves. And physically, of course, there are also uh, implications, and that is uh, reflected in the unease, the, the fear and hostility that exists between man and serpents. Uh, some, some uh, in response to that, assess that the only good serpent is a dead serpent. Um, now, I'm sure serpents play a very uh, important role in ecology, uh, in the environment. But when it comes near my home, any serpent will be a dead serpent, uh, both on demand from Mrs. Albers and from myself. I mean, I, I do not like snakes. Uh, I, can't f I find it impossible to think warm, affectionate thoughts and cuddly thoughts uh, towards such a scaly creature. Uh, and, and besides that, we should never trust anything without shoulders. Uh, but since the fall, serpents survived by being cautious and wary um, in this hostile environment. I mean, how else did they get on Noah's Ark? Uh, and so... The cautiousness and wariness of, of snakes enabled them to survive in this hostile environment. They were, to be sh they were shrewd, uh, and, and it came to be known that any, any cautiousness, any wariness, uh, really uh, is to be as shrewd as a, as a serpent. And so shrewdness, really, the word means uh, or relates to one's, the quality of one's thinking, um, which is, of course, a result of insight, of wisdom, and of, and of intelligence. It means, to be, it means to be really to be wise. It means to be smart. It means to have an awareness, a prudence. It means to be clever. So to be shrewd as a serpent speaks of one's ability to assess your situation and your, the, 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 really the circumstances of your environment and, and then to make the right decision, to to do the right thing, 
the, at the right time in the right manner. It is the ability to see how one's decisions now will, will look like what it would look like in the end. Uh, the choices that you make now, how that will affect you personally, how it will affect those around you, and even how it will affect the glory sanctified common sense. However, the shrewdness that the, that the king, that Christ had in mind here, never allows for moral or doctrinal compromise. Never compromise on the, your Father, we... We thank you, Lord, that, that you are always on a com compromise his moral teaching, his moral demands. It never allows for evil or error in order to achieve a better outcome for you. And so hence the second half of this uh, instruction is we need to be shrewd as serpents, but also innocent as doves. Uh, of course, a dove became to be personified as, 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 as a creature that are pure and innocent and gentle. Um, and so really that saying means that you need to be astute yet above approach. You need to be bold yet blameless. You need to be clever yet clean. Um, and we see, of course, Paul the Apostle as a, as a great example of, of this, of being shrewd as a serpent and innocent as, as, as a dove. Uh, we read that in, in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, really verse 20 to, to, uh, to 21, um, where, he's, where he talks about how he ministers really to different packs of wolves, if you like, uh, different groups of people. He says in verse, verse 22, the Jew, I became as a Jew, so that I might win I might win Jews. Uh, so to those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. And so examples of this would be, remember he, when he uh, uh, really uh, found Timothy, who became his disciple, he circumcised him. Uh, not because he was following the law, as in that is part of his worship. We, we know that Paul was, was, was vehemently against that in, in adding any requirement to faith in Christ. But he did that because there were many Jews in that area. And in order for Timothy to have access to them, he had to be circumcised. He had a Jewish mother and a, and a Gentile father. Um, and so that, that is shrewd of Paul. We also read that he, whenever he is, 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 is in, in Jewish context, he would offer the sacrifices in the temple and, and follow their, their, their rituals uh, of, of sacrificial worship uh, as required by the law. Why? Not, not because that is the way he understood Christ to be worshipped now, but to have access to the Jews, to have access to the pack of wolves, as, you, as, as, we, can, as we can say. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 21, to those who are without law, as without law, those not being without law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. And so again, he, he adapted himself. When he came to, to Jewish people, he would 
reason from the scriptures to prove to them that Jesus is the Christ. And then when he came to, to Gentiles, he would use other means. Uh, for instance, in Acts 17, uh, he, when, he, when he approached the, the Gentiles in Athens, he used their worship. There was an idol that was uh, dedicated to an unknown God, and so he uses their they worship and, and, and explain to them that God is greater than any idol, that He does not need man to worship Him. He does not need anything from, from man. In fact, He created all things and that all things now should worship Him. That now He demands of them to repent and honor Him as God, for He has fixed a day of judgment in which He will judge the all men in righteousness. And then in chapter uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22, To the weak I became weak, that I may win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. And so Paul adapted and adopted some of the customs and manners of a particular group of people, a particular pack of wolves, to enable him to reach them, to speak the gospel, to preach the gospel to them. But always and never compromising on the sovereignty of Christ, on the purity of the gospel and God's word, on his own integrity and sanctification. He never gave up those things. He remained innocent. He remained blameless. And so this saying, being shrewd to serpents and innocent as dove, really, in today, has been grossly misapplied uh, in, in, in the modern church, or maybe we say the church in the postmodern era. I mean, church denomination after church denomination, church after church have been devoured by the wolves they were trying to reach because they were accommodating and adapting their practices and their beliefs to make them more acceptable to the wolves. And departing from the moral teachings of the Scripture and the doctrinal teachings of Christ the King will cause you to fall. They cause you, they will devour you. So today we see on moral issues where many churches have capitulated. In order to reach the wolves they are trying to, to or should be going, they started calling good evil and evil good, thinking of, of marriage, thinking of sexuality, thinking about gender issues, thinking about uh, the, the sanctity and dignity of life issues, where certain ministries have compromised on that. Doctrinally, uh, embracing of evolution, uh, rejecting biblical inerrancy and the authority of Scripture, really rejecting nowadays the substitutionary atonement of that Christ uh, achieved for us. And the argument really goes like this. They say, like, well, listen, we are uh, the ways of sheep, the ways of the shepherd, the ways of Christ are incompatible with the ways of wolves. And so in order to reach the wolves, we as sheep need to change. We as sheep need to change our message. We need to, as sheep needs to, to adopt and adapt their ways so that we and our message would become more palatable to them. Well, you may become more tasty to them because they will devour you. 
putting it more directly, the teaching of Christ contradicts and condemns many of the practices of our culture today. And so we need not change our message, but we need to call them to repentance. For not doing so is a serious misunderstanding of our mission. We are not called to reach the wolves. We are called to preach Christ to the wolves, to call to them to repentance. And so, as the king's men, as the king's women, as his ambassadors, his church, we are to preach Christ and Him crucified and call those who are lost to turn around from their wolfish ways, from their serpent ways, and turn to the Savior for salvation. And so to be shrewd is not to adapt and adopt the views of culture on, on morality and on, on, on truth, but to confront the culture on its immorality with the claims of Christ and to call them to repentance and to preach really the Lordship of Christ. And so failure to do that would be both a, a failure to be shrewd and a failure to be innocent. A failure to be bold and a failure to be blameless. And if we do that, they will tear around, or they will turn around and tear us to pieces. So Paul was, was very shrewd in adopting and adapting his, himself, his practices, and his, his message to reach and to preach Christ to those who are lost, yet never compromising the truth, yet never compromising on his own sanctification. But he was also shrewd and, uh, as a serpent and innocent as a dove when it comes to protecting himself from unnecessary harm and suffering. Uh, in Acts 24, we, we read that Paul was brought before the Sanhedrin for preaching Christ. And in that, uh, in that council, he realized that uh, half of the council was made up of Sadducees who rejected and did not believe in the resurrection of Christ. And the other half was full of Pharisees who, who did affirm those doctrines. And so he got up and cried, Brethren, I'm a Pharisee, a son of the Pharisees, and I'm on trial for the hope of the resurrection from the dead. And guess what happened? They started fighting each other. And of course, Paul was standing here aside, no longer the focus of their attention. Well, that is shrewd, people. That is, that is wise. Uh, that is very astute. Yet, as I said, Paul never compromised. He, he always maintained a clean conscience before God and man, as he said in Acts 14, 16. He was instructing the Thessalonians to examine everything carefully, holding fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. And to the church of Rome, he wrote, Be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. Practically saying the same thing as what we find here in Matthew. And so Jesus, in sending his disciples, he warned them that there will be problems and that they will be in peril, that there will be difficulty and there will be danger. Uh, when, a, when a sheep goes out among wolves, you can expect 
this to, to be the case. Many, we can also expect some prejudice and persecution. Our second point. I mean, Jesus did not suddenly and abruptly change the subject. He was really expanding and expositing on what he just said, what he just spoke about. And he warns them that when, he, when you are sent out as a sheep in the midst of wool, you can expect prejudice and persecution. Prejudice, of course, is, is a preconceived rather, or preformed opinions or a predisposition towards something or someone, and in our context, an unfavorable preformed or conceived idea, uh, really producing a general animosity towards those who held the other view and resulting in persecution. Of persecution, of course, the dictionary tells us that it is a program or a campaign to exterminate, to drive away, or to subjugate a people based on their membership of a religious, social, or racial group. And so Jesus warned his disciples, beware of men. Beware of the wolves that I've just talked about in the previous verse. Be on your guard against them. For the unregenerate man, the wolves are by nature prejudiced against God and His kingdom, Christ and His rule, Jesus and His offer of salvation. When it comes to the kingdom of heaven, when it comes to spiritual matters, there is no neutrality. When it comes to the kingdom of heaven, when it comes to spiritual matters, there is no neutrality. You are either for the Lord or against the Lord. You are either for Christ or against Christ. You are either in and for the domain of darkness or you are in and for the domain of the kingdom of sons, beloved, God's beloved son. You're either a child of the devil or you're a child of God. You're either walking in the flesh with your mind set on the flesh and therefore hostile to God, unable and unwilling to submit to the law of God, destined you therefore to death, or you are walking by the Spirit with your mind set on the Spirit that brings life and peace and righteousness, as Romans 8 tells us. And so beware of men. Jesus said, beware of the evil inclinations and intentions in man's heart. God affirmed that even back in Genesis 6, 5, when he says that every intent and thought of man's heart is only ever evil continually. So beware. Do not enlist them in your endeavors to advance the kingdom of heaven. Don't be unequally yoked. Is Second Corinthians six tells us, do not soften your message, do not sweeten its contents to make it more palatable for them, do not court their acceptance, do not rely on their favor, do not be seduced by their gifts, fall into their traps, give validation to their slander by tarnishing your own witness. Be like Christ. Who did not entrust himself to men, for he himself knew all that was in man, in John 2, 25. 
And so Jesus goes on and he warns really of three types of persecution. He said, they will be, when I send you as sheep among uh, wolves, you can expect religious persecution. Beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. Those religious men that they are sent, of course, here speaking specifically to to those uh, in in Judaism, they will drag you before their councils, their their courts. The highest one, of course, was the Sanhedrin, which had the highest authority. And really, it is in the synagogues where disputes were settled. So if someone had an accusation against you, they would settle that, uh, hear the case in the synagogue, and when uh, there was need for punishment, it would actually be executed in the synagogue. Therefore, the scourgings will take place, or had been taking place, in the synagogues. Scourging, of course, is a, is a horrible beating. Uh, they were, uh, the law allowed them to, to beat a man up to 40 times, 40 lashes, uh, but no more. And so, as the Pharisees would do, they reduced that to 39 just to make sure they did not miscount their beatings or lashings. And therefore, the maximum penalty was 39 lashes. Deuteronomy 25 tells us of, of this law. And so, Peter and John, they were flogged for preaching Christ in Acts 5. Paul received five times from the Jews 40 lashes minus one in 2 Corinthians 11. And, but, but more than that, the persecution uh, was not restricted to scourging. Or lashings. Uh, you, you remember Paul when, while he was still Saul and was persecuting the church, he approved and oversaw the stoning of Stephen, and then followed and, 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 and persecuted many believers, casting them into prison. And so, religious persecution of, of Christians preaching the Christian gospel was not only limited to Judaism. It, of course, it started there because that's where the gospel was proclaimed first. But as it spread, it spread to other parts. You may remember uh, the, the riot that was caused uh, by Demet- uh, I think it was Demetrius the silversmith in Ephesus. When, uh, because of the preaching of the gospel, his trade or making silver idols of Diana or Artemis uh, was in, in jeopardy. And so they stirred up a crowd to persecute Paul for preaching Christ. Um, persecutions had been carried out by wolves in and out of the church throughout history. Since, since, since the beginning of, of the preaching of the gospel of Christ, both within the church and without. Within, by those who are legalists, those who are insisting on others following their man-made rules, and if they don't, they are branded as, as, as evil. As, or by liberals, those who are, uh, will persecute you for being faithful to the teachings of Scripture, the orthodox doctrines that Scripture teaches. And without the church, or from out the church, of course, there was the Roman Catholic Church, uh, and there's also Islam and Hinduism, and even today, more, more, more recently, secular humanism or atheism that targets Christians for being Christian, uh, persecute Christians for being Christian. 
And so there would be religious persecution, Jesus said, but also state persecution, verse 18. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Jesus said, I am sending you in my name. And because of that, you will even need to defend yourself before Gentile rulers. Of course, governors, we saw that Jesus was sent to, to uh, well, it was before Pontius Pilate, rather, uh, the governor who then ultimately had the authority to crucify Christ. Later on, we read of Festus and Felix, or Felix and Festus in that order, before whom Paul had to defend himself. Of kings, we read of Herod Antipas, who was not strictly a king, but is sometimes called that, um, who, was, who was sent, who sent Jesus, or Pilate who was who sent Jesus to, to Herod Antipas before his execution. We read of, of Herod, King Herod Agrippa I, who was the one who imprisoned Paul, uh, sorry, imprisoned Peter and Je- actually had James executed. Later on, we read of Paul standing before King Agrippa II, uh, giving his testimony to him of how Christ saved him and, and really called him to repentance. And so this warning that Jesus gave them had both immediate fulfillment, but also a future and ongoing fulfillment. And at various times, especially in the early church, the, the state was active in persecuting the church. Uh, They sought to exterminate Christians based on the slanderous reports from others who said that they were cannibals because of what Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Uh, And then at the love feast, they thought this was a cannibal fest. And, And they were slandered as such. And of course, the government authorities at that time cracked down on that. They were also fearful of of revolt. Uh, because of the church's attitude towards slaves. Uh, the church neither uh, affirmed or, uh, or, well, didn't condemn or promote slavery, but they simply treated all men as equal. Uh, in fact, one of the early two bishops in, in Rome in the, in the second century, uh, Callistus and, and Pius, were, were once slaves before they became bishops in the church. And of course, uh, there were also elders and deacons in the church who were slaves before. And at that time, it was estimated that about 60 million people within the Roman Empire were slaves. And so with this uh, lax or, or the view towards slaves within the church, they were afraid, the government authorities were afraid of, of, of dissent and revolt. And so they persecuted the Christians. Other times, Christians were persecuted simply because they refused to give their utmost allegiance to the emperor. Their allegiance belonged to Christ and him alone. And so Jesus says that governors and kings, the ruling authorities will persecute you when you confess me as king, me as Lord, and act accordingly. Act as if you are one of my Citizens, submitting yourself to my commandments, even above theirs. And so Christ warned that they will be persecuted because of Him. 
for my sake, on account of me, because you are faithful to me, because you have sworn allegiance to me, because you are witness that I am Jesus the Savior, I am Christ the King, I am God incarnate, and because you are obedient to my commandments and doing what is good and gracious, righteous and true, they will actually persecute you. But what they meant for evil... Jesus said, He will use for good. For in this way, He decreed that governors and kings and all those who serve in their courts will hear the good news about Christ, the good news about the gospel. And therefore, do not worry, verse 19 and 20. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say. For it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And so when they dragged you before courts of law, before the judges, don't worry about what you will say. Don't worry about defending yourself. God will give you what you need to say. What to say and how to say it. Because you are on His errand. You are on His mission. You are on His assignment. And so words will be given you. God's words will be given you. The Spirit of your Father will speak in you. You will be God's lips. You will be God's voice. You will be His mouthpiece. You will be as a prophet of His Proclaiming His message, speaking the Word of God, proclaiming the Gospel of Christ. A message that would be designed and designated for the ears of governors and kings and those in the, their courts. And of course an example of this again is Peter and John in Acts 4 when they were arrested for speaking or preaching Christ. And they were brought before the Jewish leaders. And verse 13 of Acts 4 tells us, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And of course, in our days, Jesus is present now with us through that when we are found ourselves in a situation like that. So Peter reminded the church when it was under the persecution of Emperor Nero, falsely accused of burning down Rome, Peter just reminded them, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Make Him supreme. Make Him the King. And be prepared, be ready to give a defense for anyone who asks you to give an account of this, of this hope that is within you. Yet, with gentleness and reverence. Be bold, but be blameless. Don't give them an excuse to attack you and slander you and revile you for your good behavior in Christ. So don't be anxious, don't worry. When this bad thing happens, the persecution, you being brought before kings and governors, the Lord will turn it into a good thing. You will be a witness for Him in that situation before Gentiles. 
So there will be religious persecution, there will be state persecution, there will even be family persecution. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. As I said, when it comes to Christ, when it comes to his kingdom, there is no neutrality. There is no fence sitting. Choosing not to believe in Christ is to choose against Christ. Choosing not or choosing to reject the gospel is to choose to reject Christ in favor of Satan. Rejecting the kingdom of light in favor of the kingdom of darkness. Christ is the dividing line. He is the watershed separating even the closest relationships that we can find on earth that between family members. Based upon, not of Christ, but based upon their attitude towards Christ. That was what will bring separation. And so Jesus warned that the children of the devil, who takes after their father, who is a liar and a murderer from the beginning, just as Satan sought the death of Christ, so he seeks to destroy every confessing Christian, every testifying child of God. And Satan's hatred is so cruel that he would distort the natural love that there is between family members into this unnatural hatred, resulting in blood relations, seeking the death of one another because of the serpent's poisonous lies. When a Christ-loving brother, a Christ-loving father, a Christ-loving family member will be betrayed, will be handed over so that they will be put to death by a Christ-hating family member. Verse 22 says, And you will be hated by all. This is by mankind in general, regardless of status, station, society, sex, seniority, scruples, all those who are in the camp of the wolves, they will hate you because of Christ. There is no neutrality when it comes to Christ and the kingdom of heaven. Every person is really born hostile to God, an enemy of His, hating Him, and a wolf needs to be converted to become a lamb in order to change. All men will hate you because of my name. Their animosity, their hostility, their murderous intent will be because they hate Christ. You will be the recipient, but their hatred is targeted at Christ. And so Jesus said there will be prejudice and persecution against you. Really, it was a strong warning for the disciples hearing this. And I think it was an inconceivable message, I would imagine, for them at that time. But they soon discovered that the words of Jesus and the history of the church show us that Jesus was not using hyperbole. He was not exaggerating when he was saying these things. This is, this is the truth. This is a disturbing reality. So in gospel ministry, you can expect problems and peril prejudice and persecution, and now you are expected to persevere, but with prudence. Verse 22b says, but it is 
the one who endure to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Persecution is certain. Jesus said that. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. That is, if you are acting and looking like him. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And later on he says, in this world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Jesus also said, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who persevere and overcome persecution, they are the ones who will be saved in the end. They are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. In the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed is he who overcomes the world. Blessed is he who endures through persecution, who hold on, who Hold out, who holds up the name of Christ in the midst of trial, in tribulation, in persecution. Whether that is the end of the trial here, the end of life here, or when Christ returns. Hold on. Those who are holding on to the end, they are the ones who will be saved. They are the ones who are the true sheep of God. And So Paul wrote to the Philippians, and he said to them, that it's been granted to them not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for His name's sake. And of course, that is not true to every believer to the, ex- to the same extent. Some are persecuted far more than others. But when you suffer, endure. When you are persecuted, persevere. Persevere, for it holds benefit for you. Uh, Paul wrote in Corinthians, uh, sorry, for Romans 5, that we should exalt even in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces endurance, and endurance sound character, and sound character hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through faith. James tells us, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfecting result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So when you are persecuted, expect to endure, expect to persevere. Set your mind to stand firm, to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His mind, and to stand firm. But persevere with prudence. There's always the option to flee to the next city, to leave. When you are persecuted, opposed, and constantly harassed, and the message of Christ consistently rejected, then Jesus says, leave. Dust the feet from your feet. And go. There is no commandment that says that you must stay in one city and one place, even die there. If your message, 
is not received, you are free to leave. You are free to escape persecution. And throughout the book of Acts, we see this. The apostles did this time and time again. When opposed, they moved on. When the Jews refused to listen to them, they went to the Gentiles. When the city rose up, uh, rose up in, in, in um, rejecting them, they moved to the next city. There is really no virtue in unnecessary suffering, persecution. To endure that needlessly. There is also no virtue in throwing your life away cheaply, needlessly, stupidly. We are called to embrace persecution. And if the Lord requires it, even martyrdom, even giving up our life for the faith. But we should never seek martyrdom. We should never court martyrdom. We should never desire it. It will be given to us. Trust me. It will, if that is meant for you, it will come to you. We may be called to give up our life for Christ and the gospel, but not in a way that does not honor Christ and does not advance the gospel. The life of every saint is precious in the eyes of the Lord and should not be recklessly thrown away. And so it is expected that we persevere, but with prudence, with wisdom. If resisted, if opposed, if persecuted, and you can leave, go. If by God's by God's leading through His Spirit, you, you feel you need to stay, then stay. And if you need to give up your life, He will give, enable you to do so. But there is no commandment for us to stay under persecution. And then He goes on and He says that they will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Now that is the number of different explanations uh, to the meaning of these words, some said that Jesus was mistaken. Uh, well, we can't accept that. Some says that Matthew misplaced it. It shouldn't be here compiled into this account. Uh, we don't accept that either. Some think it's a reference to Jesus coming in judgment. And really in 70 AD, Jesus did, the Lord did judge Israel and destroyed them and basically expelled them from the land and, and destroyed the, the, the temple. But there is no evidence of that in this, in this passage. Uh, and so here I think it speaks of the Lord coming. I'm uh, oh, sorry. Every time the, that, that uh, Matthew speaks of the Lord coming, his second coming, he really refers to him coming in glory at the end of, end of the ages with his angels. And so I think the best way to understand it is as Jesus was saying that his messengers, they will continue to preach the gospel to the gospel of the kingdom to the Gentiles, but also going on to the cities of the Jews until that great and glorious day of His return. Now, if you accept that understanding, then it is what we call a prophetic foreshortening. And, and, and to understand that, it is basically a if you, if you can see the prophecy as a painting, and it's painting uh, the events, the future events as, as peaks, but 
all in one picture, but we don't see the valleys between these peaks, the valleys which could extend for centuries, for millennia. Uh, and so the prophecy is given, and you see these peaks of, of future events, but they are separated by a lot of time or, or a long time. And we see something similar that Jesus did in, in Matthew 24 when he talked about God's judgment uh, that is to come. And some of it was fulfilled in 70 AD and the rest is waiting fulfillment uh, to the end, at the end of days. But however, the words here to the, to the, to the gospel messenger the king's men and that he sent out and women that he sends out now is to really comfort his disciples and saying that I'm coming again. Hold on. And for Israel, it would be significant so that they would hear that he will keep on sending his disciples. He has not given up on them. They will keep going through the cities of Israel until that great and glorious day of his return. And so now the Lord is sending his disciples, his ministers, his ambassadors into the harvest. And he did not try and persuade them with promises of comfort and ease, but with honesty and with truth, saying, I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. Expect problems and peril, but be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Be blameless, be bold and blameless, astute and above approach, wise and winsome. And he says, I'm sending you to those who hate me. So you can expect prejudice and persecution. Men will hate you because they hate Christ. But if you persevere to the end, you will be saved. And I'm sending you for my name's sake. So persevere with prudence. Be strong. Stand firm. Endure. Persevere even to death if need be. But not carelessly. Not needlessly. Not stupidly. Let your sacrifice be for the advancement of the kingdom and the glory of God. Let us pray. Father, we, we thank you, Lord, that, that you are always honest, always truthful, Lord. And, and here before us, you have warned us that the path of professing you before men, before wolves, before those who are at enmity with you, is just fraught with problems and peril, that we should not be surprised when people turn around and attack. And they may attack us, but ultimately they are attacking you and what they see of you in us. And Father, when I think of that and think of the Western church who have escaped persecution um, for such a long time, We thank you for your grace in that, your mercy in that. But Lord, I also pray that you would search our hearts, that the reason why we have not been 
opposed, not being persecuted, maybe because we do not look like you and do not proclaim you and do not or have not exalted you as Lord over every aspect of our lives. And so, Lord, help us search our hearts, Lord. And if that's the truth, help us to repent. Help us to be faithful to you in word and in deed. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.